You are listening to audio recorded at the Village Church. For more information, go to villagechurchbaltimore.com. So I wanted to continue uh, the series that we're probably about halfway through now through this wonderful book of Philippians. It's a letter written by this man named Paul, one of the disciples. And I'm going to read from Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. It says, finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship by the spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered a loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Woo! Beautiful words from the Apostle Paul. And, and if you've been tracking up to this point, so much that Paul has written about is about the joy found in knowing Jesus. And this letter is often called a book of joy. But today in this passage, he gives a warning And it's fascinating because usually if you imagine a preacher in today's church is giving a warning to the church, you might imagine things about like guarding yourself against the immorality of the world. Like, you know, be careful of the new Pixar movie because there's a hidden agenda trying to get into your kids' hearts. I'm I'm joking. We can can laugh as Christians. It's okay. Um, But here's the thing, Paul, here's what Paul's warning to Philippian believers about. Bow wow. He talking about dogs. And to us, it might not hit as hard because we're, we're an interesting society that sometimes curiously seems to love animals more than we even love people. And that's a whole nother matter. But, but that's not what the first entry audience pictured where dogs roamed their streets and were essentially scavengers, wild animals. Paul wasn't referring to your sweet Fido, but think more like rats, dirty creatures. You then, since dogs were such dirty creatures, they often spoke of Gentiles, non-Hebrews, as dogs, as a dirtier class of people. So when Paul's saying dogs here, he's swinging hard. I mean, he, he going in and he's aiming at folk called Judaizers, who Jews who taught that obedience to the ceremonial law. Excuse me for a sec. Who taught that obedience to the ceremonial law is found in scripture was necessary to truly be a Christian. So in this case specifically, that one needed to be circumcised. And if you don't know what that means, you do your own research, but circumcised as mandated in the Old Testament law. And, and these Judaizers, what they were commanding new Christians, new people who've received this message of Jesus, that if you're really obedient to Jesus, you also need to be physically marked in the same manner as ethnic Hebrews. 
But what Paul's stating here in Philippians 3, he's stating that, yo, if you promote that this, these efforts of righteousness are what makes you righteous, it's not righteous at all. That's wicked. That actually, any attempt to satisfy God by one's own efforts, it's not only anathema, it's simply physical mutilation. And in verse 3, Paul then, he distinguishes a contrast to what a true believer in Christ is. He, he writes, for we are the circumcision who worship by the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. When he says glory to Christ Jesus, he means we boast with exuberant, heartfelt joy that we give all credit to Christ and his work alone. So where the Judaizers placed their hope in, in being circumcised, uh, maybe being descendants of Abraham, performing particular external ceremonies and duties as found in the law, the true Christian is one who realizes there's, there's no ability or no achievement apart from what God can do to save them. And that's what he means by saying we are the circumcision, that God's true people are not marked by a mere symbol of the need for a clean heart, but rather we've actually been cleansed by God through Christ and there is now a new heart within us. And, and this, yeah, this is where it gets really epic. Um, you know, the, the whole quarantining coronavirus, it's brought out a lot of stuff. Some of it's really weird, but some of it honestly kind of epic. Like one thing I discovered is uh, there have been this whole series of, of live videos, these versus beat battle videos, like old school hip hop battles where, you know, you got, I mean, it reminds me of when I was a little younger, you got um, hip hop artists, you got R&B artists just spitting bars back and forth and responding. And it's epic. I mean, you got technological glitches, but it's, it's, it's great. And, and Paul, in a way, he just starts battling here. I mean, he's throwing lyrical haymakers. I mean, look at verse 4 again. And just picture kind of a beat going through there as, as he's saying this. Is, Though I myself have reason for confidence in the flesh also. If anyone thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law of Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness under the law, blameless. Man, he, I mean, he's just going in. The thing is, if you would have heard this apart from the context that we saw before verse 5, you would have thought Paul just flexing on these fools, right? You would have thought, said, you all going to flex? I mean, well, here you go. And he just goes at him. He's like, let's flex. I mean, if he's battling, that's like mic drop right there. He's done. But that's precisely why verses 7 8 pack such a wallop. Let me read again. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered a loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. Paul is saying, Yo, you want to compare resumes? Let's go. I had it all. I did it all. But as a means to knowing and having Christ, all of that was trash. All of that is rubbish. None of it helped my ledger before God. 
And I hope for us, I mean, it's 2020. It seems a little removed, but I hope there's a word for us there too. Because I think it's easy to do all the right things that a good religious person should do, even superficially. Um, And that's not altogether unhelpful because good rules, behaviors, whatever the motive, I mean, it can provide helpful guardrails for our life. But here's the thing. You can do all those good-looking things, even really religious, church-based, good-looking things, and totally miss out on Christ himself. I mean, folk can absolutely clean up their lives, get things in order, seem to fix their families, get much moral in their behavior, become more responsible in their duties, get checklists, get schedules, but never get Jesus himself. And, and, and if you're doing all the things that a Christian should do, but in the end, if you never get Jesus himself, you're still lost. Even though everyone might around you might applaud and say, yo, this, this cat got his act together. If you have all that, but you don't have Jesus, you're still lost. And I guess for me, I, I shouldn't be because I've been ministry a long time, even in all these years at the village. But I continue to be shocked at folks, even in our church, who, who've been raised in the church their whole life, since they could babble words, who've been in church and religious their whole life, but no one ever actually asked them who Jesus was to them. And they end up discovering who Jesus is here decades later. And it astounds me, and it kind of saddens me, but it reminds me, you can do a lot of religious-looking activity and miss out on the point of it all in the end. So as much as this passage should speak deeply to some of you all, some of us who are like quote-unquote good people, man, there's also such a hopeful message here for those of us who don't count ourselves as good people. Um, You know, kind of a side thought just related to even some of what's going on this past week in recent times. There's this idea some had that in America, everyone has an equal shot at success if you just want it enough. Like, it really comes down to willpower, determination. If you just got grit, if you're just willing to grind, every opportunity is ahead of you. And I think some of that's true. I think there's a lot to be said for drive and determination, a, a will to battle at whatever the cost might be. I mean, I think it's a reason why a lot of immigrants come to this country originally for their shot at the American dream. Anything is possible for Americans. Anyone can become president. I mean, it's like, it sounds beautiful. But, but what we got to recognize, guys, is that sin is not just the fallenness of each individual's actions. Sin is also witnessed in a societal, systemic sense. And that's one of the reasons for us as a church why we advocate and try to train um, to be people who speak on issues of justice because our God is a God of justice and equity because sinful systems mean that in this world, in this fallen world of sin, not everyone is playing on a level playing field in life. And yo, that's just a topic for a whole nother sermon. So that's all I can get into it for today. But the reason I mentioned that, um, I think sometimes the message of Jesus that we hear from some people today, some of the criticism is that, yo, your Christian religion you are, you are way too exclusive. You, you shut people out. You draw these lines. Um, but here, if, you, if we really grasp the radical significance of Christ's work as Paul describes here and, and in many other places through Scripture, 
there is no more inclusive system of religious faith in this world than the Christian gospel. Because here's the thing, in our eyes, um, it legitimately seems that some have a head start when it comes to knowing who Jesus is. But here's the spiritual reality. Every single person born in this world starts at the same exact place, fallen and separated from God. And, and though our human systems might like to, because we like categories, break people up into good or into bad, the biblical reality is um, if there are good and bad teams, the, the sadness is none of us is going to make the cut for the good team. We all on the bad team. There's only one player on the good team, and his name's God, and he's playing solo. But here, here's the outstanding news. If we talk in like pickup language and God is over there on his own, on his own team, he's not looking to play solo. He's looking to bring people on his team. And maybe like some of you, maybe like me, for some of you, you played some pickup ball and you're not like people like Pastor Julius or Pastor Larry where you're picked like number one or two because you're real good. But you like me and like they're looking at the last two people like, oh man, okay. Um, you know, maybe you feel like that. The thing is, God doesn't operate like that. He's not just looking for everyone who's passed the test. He's not looking for everyone who's made the marks. He's not looking for the most gifted. He's not looking for the most pretty. He's not looking for the people who would make the best addition to his team, to his kingdom. He's looking for anyone. He's looking for anyone who says, I want to be with God. And I recognize that in myself, I am separated from him. But there is good news, and his name is Jesus. And he made a way for me to be chosen by this great God. God has made a way to fill his team from all peoples, regardless of who you are, where you're from, through the power of Christ's work. And that is incredibly good news. Because God saves those that you and I might say are unsavable. Our God, he, he doesn't just love and save kids whose parents always encourage them to go to youth group. But he saves kids from families whose parents thought that God was this ridiculous fairy tale. I know that's some of your stories in our church. God doesn't just save that woman who's always had this like wonderful Sunday school kind of faith, which I just love. I kind of envy at the time. But he also saves that woman who believes Jesus is incompatible with their intellectual beliefs. God doesn't just save that guy who grew up learning all of the catechisms and can still spit them out like bars. But he, he saves that guy who's known nothing but uh, generational addiction in his family. Over and over again, God does not look at a resume. In church, that should give us hope. It should give us a lot of hope. It, it should give us hope for those people that we look at and say, yo, they're never going to change. I know God's a God who created everything, and, but yo, he can't change that person. That brother, he's crazy. My mom. She's so hard-hearted. She's so embittered. Yo, that dude on the corner there, all he does is evil. Yo, she, man, she is just racked by addiction. She can't get out of that. And, and what I want to do is give you hope, but also a little pressing, a little challenge. Um, perhaps the problem is that we've been viewing people through eyes of flesh. So, of course, they seem unsavable. 
Of course they seem like they're never going to be able to change because we're still looking at it the way the world looks at. But what I want to encourage you is don't give up on people. For some of you, it's loved ones you've been praying for decades now and you don't see a single thing happening. Don't give up on them because you never know how God is working in the secret places of a person's heart as hopeless as they appear. Reach out to them. Continue to love them. Continue to serve them. Don't give up in inviting them into church. I know some of us, you hesitate about inviting people to church because you're like, that's not my business. They're not interested. You never know. You never know what God is doing in someone's life. And perhaps you will be that continual bridge to point them to the true bridge that is Jesus. But God does not give up on people the way you and I might want to give up on people. So the hope is for others. But guys, this hope is also for you and for me as well. Because we still do it, don't we? I don't know about you, but I, I, I do. Even when we talk about God saving the unredeemable... If you're like me, I kind of have a certain type of person in mind when I think unredeemable. I'm thinking those people who really need Jesus. Oh, man, their life's a wreck. Their life stinks. Oh, they are in the toilet. I hope they see how much they need Jesus because they're about to hit rock bottom. Because the thing is, you and I, many of us, we still tend to put our trust in our trophies. Well, by trophies, what I mean are those things that we kind of value in our life. And whether we recognize or not, we hold it up as this is what gives me value. This is what gives me worth. This is what makes me more acceptable. Uh, maybe they're trophies of success. Maybe of accomplishment. Perhaps they're trophies of our image. How we look, how we come across. Maybe of our health. Perhaps for some of us, they're trophies of our family, of security. And, and I want to be real clear. Those, those things are not bad in and of themselves, but they were never intended for us to place our trust in for our redemption. Because you can have all those things and totally miss God. You can have success and trophies and all those things and totally miss out on this God who will give you life and hope and meaning. And I know it's ingrained in some of us, but we must heartily reject this notion that Christianity is for good and strong and clean and well put together people. Because the Christian message, we call it the gospel, it's not about good people finding a way to get more good. Because the reality is that message has crushed many of you here. Because you've heard that. And you just get on the hamster wheel and you try to be even a better person. Um, I saw this on Twitter and I just caveat this. This is not a political message, but I thought it was just brilliant. This person wrote, some of y'all mad about wearing a mask to church, but you've been doing it for years. Boom! I was like, what? <laughs> and I didn't even hear the political stuff. I heard like a light upon my heart thinking, wow. Because isn't that what has crushed so many of us in organized religion or maybe even church, this idea that what it truly means to be a Christian or a good person is to come, but I wear a mask to hide myself from who I really am. And maybe the mask looks like all of those different trophies, things that we do to kind of hide who we really are. And man, no, no wonder that for some people, church is not a place of freedom, but it's the place where you learn to just lie really well. And you hide all of the pain, all of the brokenness, all of the struggle, all of the wrestling with sin, and you hide it because you think that's what a Christian does. 
But guys, if that's you at all, can, can you hear the gospel is good news for fallen, broken people coming to grips with their failure to be who they were intended to be through their own efforts? Can I say it again? The gospel is good news for fallen, broken people coming to grips with their failure to be who they were intended to be through their own efforts. And here's the amazing part. Jesus loves those kinds of people. Jesus loves those kinds of people. And my invitation for you is whether you've been that type of person who's, who's tried to do everything you're supposed to, you're kind of that quote-unquote good person, or maybe you're the type who's failed miserably at every effort of life, I invite you all commonly to the foot of the cross. And, and what I would particularly ask you, if you, as you come before the cross, I'm talking about coming to see this Savior. His name is Jesus, who was the perfect person. He lived the perfect life we're all intended to live. And he gave himself in sacrifice for all the people who've fallen short, who recognize that they are not able to satisfy God by their efforts. But he gave himself and he gave the perfect sacrifice. So when you come, I want to invite you to repent. But oftentimes when we hear the repentance, uh, for me, when I was younger, when I heard repentance, I'm thinking, ooh, okay, let me think of all the bad things I did this week. And I just list them off and, and have a mentalist. Sometimes I have to actually write them down so I don't forget. And just write them down and then repent for all those quote-unquote bad things. But for the Christian, those things you should repent for. But we also start to repent for even the quote-unquote good things that we've looked to to be our Savior. Lord, I repent of looking to my accomplishments to give me a particular status. Lord, I repent of looking at my beautiful family as a means for me to somehow say I'm a more better person now. Lord, I repent of looking to how people view me as my true stature before you. I repent of all that because in light of Christ, it's all rubbish. It doesn't mean it's bad, but it's not Christ. And we receive the grace of Jesus. Jesus instead received the amazing love of the only one who could pay that great cost to usher us into the favor of this great God. Cry out today, wherever you are today, maybe you're on your couch, you're in your bed, wherever you are, maybe on your phone, cry out, cry out to this Jesus to save you and place your trust in Jesus today. We're not doing our communion table as we normally would. We're reserving that till we gather again in person. But I would encourage you to do the same thing, just as if you were coming to the table. Come to Christ, cry out to him and say, Jesus, save me as only you can. Bow your head with me wherever you are, and we're going to pray and respond. Lord, I pray for my friends who are watching this right now. And God, as a preacher, I confess my lack of faith because one of my trophies is thinking if I can just get people in a room with me, the message will mean more. And it's not to diminish the gathered people, but Lord, we thank you that your gospel is not contained within walls. And you can even take these words, and maybe for some of us listening who have given, us, given up hope, maybe we've given up hope because we feel we are wretched, we can never make the right choice and decisions, and we're paying the cost of it. Maybe some of us, Lord, we've been doing all the right things, but we feel empty inside because we're just doing it. And we haven't encountered you deeply. Wherever we are at, Lord, thank you for the invitation to receive Jesus this morning.
and we worship you right now. Lead us to sweet repentance. Your kindness leads us to repentance. To know this Jesus who is enough. His sacrifice is enough. When everything we did was not enough, Jesus was enough. And we praise him right now. We praise the risen Savior who paid it all out of a deep debt of love. And Lord, may you allow us to fall deeper in love with this Jesus in worship. We thank you and we worship you.